Hi, this is Stavros Yanuka, welcoming you back to Wise Words, the podcast where we discuss all things education with some of the world's leading thinkers and doers in the field. Wise is an initiative of the Qatar Foundation, dedicated to building the future of education through innovation. This episode is the first in a limited series that tees up the WISE Global Summit that is taking place in Doha and online from the 7th to the 9th of December 2021. The theme of the summit is Generation Unmute, reclaiming our future through education. As the world slowly emerges from the shadows of the COVID-19 pandemic, it is important that we not only take stock of the largely negative impact on education of the prolonged lockdowns and school closures, but also look ahead to the challenges that confront us, most of which long predate the pandemic, and the opportunities that are becoming available to solve some of the world's most intractable challenges, not least of which is the promise of universal quality education enshrined in the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. As a global community, we have gone long on ambition, whether it be the 17 Sustainable Development Goals or the aspiration to limit global warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. However, more often than not, we have fallen short on execution. Not surprisingly, young people have noticed this discrepancy and in growing numbers have embraced civil society activism in all its many forms, demanding meaningful change. Activism, although necessary, is unfortunately not sufficient to bring about the desired outcomes. It needs to be accompanied by action. My guest on this podcast is Victoria Ibiwei, a young graduate who is moving from activism to action and will be joining the WISE Summit in Doha on 7 to 9 December. Victoria is the founder of One African Child, a youth-led organization with a mission to create opportunities in underserved communities and unleash the potential in young people through global citizenship education programs. She recently served as the youth representative of the SDG Education 2030 steering committee set up by UNESCO. Victoria has partnered with institutions like the World Bank, UNESCO, the United States Institute for Peace, the Global Partnership for Education, and several other multilateral organizations to influence policies that transform education systems. Having spent the last few years building an international education nonprofit, she now spends most of her time supporting organizations looking to scale their impact. During our conversation, we discussed Victoria's own experience of education, first in her native Lagos in Nigeria, and more recently in Wisconsin in the U.S. Her motivations between establishing One African Child, her own struggles with learning difficulties, young people in Africa and how they see themselves in their continent, the challenges and opportunities for young people in Africa and elsewhere to influence decision-making, and many more topics. Please join me in conversation with Victoria Ibiwe and be sure to register for the WISE 2021 Global Summit to hear more from Victoria and other youth leaders and influencers from around the world. Details are in the show notes. Victoria, welcome to Wise Words. Thanks, Travels. My name is Victoria Ibiwaye. I am originally from Lagos, Nigeria, and I am currently in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I grew up in Lagos, and Lagos is a very big city with a population of over 20 million people. And growing up, my parents instilled in myself and my siblings how important education was. And I feel very grateful for the opportunity to be educated, considering that there are many children in Nigeria who don't have the 
the luxury of getting educated, even though to some degree education is free up until secondary level. But growing up, my parents um, instilled in us how important education was, but the pathways to getting educated were also narrow. You either go to school to become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or an accountant. If you think about anything outside of this box, it's not um, the best pathway to go. I remember wanting to become an economist. I didn't really know much about what economists would do, but I wanted to go in the pathway of being an entrepreneur. But my dad saying, well, you're probably not going to, you know, earn a lot of money because you end up working at the bank and bankers don't earn a ton of money in Nigeria. You should go to study law. And I switched disciplines to study law at my college days. And so I have a degree in law and currently I've just completed my master's degree degree in sustainable peace building. And along the way, I found a path to giving back to the community. And I started an organization called One African Child Foundation. I started this because I see education as very important, but also looking at education outside of the formal school system. And looking at an education that prepares learners for work and life, it's so important to be successful professionally, but often overlooked is the holistic learning experience of preparing learners to become critical thinkers and problem solvers. And this is the gap that One African Child is addressing. Through that, I got involved in advocacy and I started advocating for the right to education with UNESCO, but also with other international institutions. Uh, I've traveled quite a bit, working with world leaders, policy makers, advocating for the right to education. That's just a little snapshot about my journey. No, and, and it's, I mean, it's a, it, it's a remarkable journey. T- tell me a little bit about, I mean, what was the motivation behind setting up uh, One African Child? It was my own personal experience going through school. I constantly felt like a misfit, like I didn't belong because I wasn't doing well at the basic maths and English. I couldn't like read fluently and that really affected my social and emotional learning skills. I lacked self-confidence. I didn't think that I would grow up to amount to anything because of that, because I wasn't doing very well academically. Along the line, I started picking up other ways or other pathways to education, and that really uh, was through volunteering. I was volunteering while I was at the university, and that helped me see that there are so many ways you can learn still. Even though you might not be academically bright, you can still uh, acquire new skills. And that was what inspired me to start One African Child. I wanted to instill in every learner or every young person out there that they are unique. Learning shouldn't just be restricted to excelling at math and English, even though those are very important. You should be able to build social skills. You should be able to think critically. Education should be much more meaningful. It should empower individuals to be compassionate citizens and active agents of change in their community. That was the motivation for starting One African Child. Also coming from Nigeria, 
the narrative about the African continent as a whole, even though I think that is changing now, is just this continent that needs a lot of, of aid and, and support. And I look within my own community, I see a lot of young people who are very, very intelligent. There's a huge potential in the young people surrounding me. And I wanted to change that narrative through education, you know, giving young people the opportunity to show that they can be leaders and change makers in their communities. And that was what inspired me to start One African Child. No, that's, I, that, that's great. And I want to I come back to that narrative. But before we go there, talk a little bit more about, about your personal learning challenges and how you, you were able to overcome them. Because I mean, as I look at you now, I don't, I don't see someone who lacks confidence. And, you know, I don't see, you know, someone who has difficulty articulating ideas and, and you know, and a, and a compelling vision for, you know, for herself and for others. And, and obviously, you've, you know, you've completed, you know, a law degree and now a master's in, in peace building. So you clearly overcame those challenges. So... Yeah, it took a lot of work to get to where I am today. And when I was growing up, I just knew that I faced a lot of challenges to my education. I wasn't the most bright or school smart girl. I was performing poorly on my academics. And I just, I I knew that I found it more difficult than other learners to catch up on things that were so easy to comprehend, especially when it came to subjects like mathematics. And um, up until a few years ago, I didn't really know about uh, learning difficulties. I always thought that if you have like maybe like a disability, something that has to be physically seen, but there are also kids who have like invisible disabilities or difficulties uh, that are often overlooked. And I came to learn about dyslexia. Studying more, uh, more about it, I am so sure that I am probably dyslexic, but this wasn't something that I'm officially diagnosed with. The way that I was able to overcome my challenges growing up was just surrounding myself firstly with positive people. I was very fortunate to have a mom who showed me positive examples in the community. Growing up in a community where you don't see a lot of examples, especially women who are successful, that can be you know, challenging for you to be able to come outside of this system and be successful. But there were still one or two people that my mom would constantly point out to. You see that lady, she's an engineer, and if you study hard, you can become an engineer too. I sort of found a way to learn and navigate the formal school system. Uh, For example, I would, you know, try to imagine the figures in my head and create pictorial examples of uh, things that I had to learn or memorize. And when it came to writing an exam, I would just kind of bring this picture alive. And that was what helped me, what helped me learn. And when it comes to the education system, the way that we learn or the way that um, every person learn is different. And I think learning should be fun. Education might not seem very exciting for many young people, but if you make learning fun, sometimes 
children or young people don't even know that they are learning, but they are learning. But it was it's because of the way that the learning experience is being delivered. So all of these struggles that I faced, I'm now translating it into the work that we do at One African Child. I see a reflection of the struggles I faced as a child, and I want to make sure that other kids like that don't have to go through the same. And they know that there is always a pathway for them to be successful despite their challenges. Yeah, no, it, it's it's that's I mean it's a again an incredible story because you know a, a lot of your fixes to to the you know to to the difficulties you were facing are now very much in quite a few places part of the mainstream uh, education the the recognition that some you know children have difficulty learning you know using traditional approaches and that you know this dyslexia and you, you may also have had you know, this uh, calculia, which is the, the difficulty with numbers, right? Uh, manipulating numbers, that there are ways to address this. And that, you know, in fact, th- these kids are just as smart as their peers. They just need to be taught differently in order to to have the concepts communicated and sort of understood. So that's, that's a remarkable story. And, I'm, you know, I'm so glad that you're now having that experience infuse your work with One African Child. Tell me a little bit about the significance of the name One African Child. What what ideas are you trying to communicate there? The name came about that we can all make a difference if we focus on one person at a time. When it comes to global issues or even issues at the local level, they can seem overwhelming and they can seem just intimidating for people to think of, to see a reflection of themselves as solution providers. But One African Child came about personally, um, as at the time when the organization started, I was only 19. I was still in college and I barely had enough funds to take care of myself as a student. But then I said that I would start with just one child. I would start to mentor one child and, you know, see um, how this will cascade in the future. And from reaching out to one child, the organization has impacted 10,000, you know, children and over 2,000 teachers today. So it really goes to say that if we break down some of the issues around us into silos and we just pick, you know, a little bit of the, of it, if everybody around the world does that, we can see a huge difference in our worlds. It's about like taking a step and starting small. Terrific. Let's 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 go back now to this narrative about about Africa that you you know you you spoke about. I mean, you know, Africa very in the coming decades is is going to account for the the bulk of young people in the world. That's right. I think by by some some estimates I I think the UN is projecting that by 2090 half of all under 15 year olds are going to be in in Africa. So from from your interactions with young people in Africa what how do they see themselves how do they see the continent you know what what are their aspirations? Uh, for for the for the future and 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 in particular, how do they see education playing a part in helping them realize that future? That's a good question. Africa's population, like you said, is blooming and is expected to double by twenty fifty, and Africa's youth of today are innovators. They are creators. They are 
uh, deep thinkers who are, you know, not only thinking about what can I do to make my continent better, they are taking action today to, to make a difference. A lot of young people in Nigeria, for example, are getting into volunteering. Some young people have, you know, like side hustles to take care of themselves and take care of their families. And um, also more and more young people are getting educated than ever before. When it comes to their education, you see today a lot of youth taking online courses or like Coursera or Udemy to uh, gain additional skills, um, looking into programs that they can be part of to acquire skills, getting into internship programs and so on. The way that it is you see education is not in the conventional way of just going to school and coming out to, you know, work in the formal field. It's more like an education that empowers them to be engaged when it comes to social problems, political, environmental issues. Um, young people are looking at different ways to get well informed, to participate. So more than ever before, you see a lot of Nigerians and Africans are on social media utilizing platforms like Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and so on to educate themselves, to connect with individuals outside of their, you know, social uh, space, to get to know what is going on outside of the world. I do think that um, a lot of youth, especially in Africa, are informed, they are aware about, you know, all the changes that, that, is, com that is coming to the continent, and they want to be part of the solution. They are not sitting back to say we are going to wait for the government to keep doing things for us. They are stepping up to be involved in every area to shape their own future. You paint a, you know, an, an incredibly, I think, hopeful and, you know, an, an optimistic picture of, you know, uh, youth in Africa. What do you think are some of the challenges, though, that um, that young people, I mean, not just in Africa, but perhaps more broadly, face when it comes to, to having the power to, to sort of influence influence their future? That's a good question. When it comes to the role of youth in decision making, I think that we need more laws and more policies that um, shifts the perception of young people as beneficiaries or as students, as youth, and views youth as decision makers, as leaders, as partners. Um, we need more laws and policies that recognizes youth agency, that looks at young people as capable of organizing, capable of initiating and coming up with brilliant ideas to um, change the world. Uh, we need to look at the contribution of young people. Not only are young people a significant part of the world's population, but they are making significant contribution to the society, to our economics. More than ever before, we have like youth entrepreneurs who are creating employment opportunities for their peers who are contributing significantly to the economy. And so therefore, a lot of young people want to have a voice. They want to have a say. And um, I think that we need laws that really acknowledges youth agency as not just looking at youth as beneficiaries, but youth as leaders who can who have a say in uh, talking about their lived experiences and what they want to see in their future. We also need to stop looking at young people in silos. We need to stop grouping young people as 
just youth. When it, when we look at youth, we there's a difference between a young person and a young person who is a student. Uh, we need to look at young people and issues that they face. For example, uh, when you bring together, say, 10 young persons in a room, they are all interested in different things. A particular person might be interested in how to address issues of education in emergencies and somebody else might be interested in issues around, you know, gender and minority representation. It's important to be able to, you know, see the lived reality of different young people across the world as uniquely different. And and as you as you kind of work back from what you what you just said in terms of empowering young people, getting them more involved in decision making, thinking of them, you know, as as people with agency and as as partners in in driving change. If you work back from that and you think about what needs to change in in education, what what are your thoughts on on that? I would say uh, we need to do more listening. We need to not be quick to fix. When we look at some of the gaps in education, I feel like some policymakers or leaders are just quick to find solutions. We need to spend more time listening to understand the systems that we work, work in and how young people are affected, what it is that they want to change and gathering all of that feedback or information to design the solutions that we, we want to add address. And also, there needs to be more intergenerational dialogue. While I believe that a lot of young people have experiences, I do believe that it's important to be able to listen and learn from those who have gone ahead of us as well. So we need more dialogues. We need to have different stakeholders, whether that is youth or whether that is ministers of education or people from the civil society space. We need to have them, you know, come together in the same space to, you know, share experiences and to learn from from one another. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's, I mean, it, it's interesting you say that, of course, and, you know, you had an experience quite recently, you you served as a, uh, as the youth representative uh, of the SDG Education 2030 Steering Committee that was set up by UNESCO. You did that, I think, for, for two years, 2017 to 2019. That's right, yes. Tell us a little bit about that experience and what, what was it like being in the room with you know, with, with policymakers and, you know, and, and others and having your, you know, you be, in a sense, the representative of, of young people for in this in this forum. Yeah, I was very honored to have been selected to be the youth representative to the steering committee, to the high level steering committee on education 2030. And that really provided me an opportunity to be able to advocate on a global level. I have always wanted to be able to make significant contributions to education, not only in my home country, Nigeria, but globally. And the steering committee provided me with that opportunity to be a global voice for education. It it provided me also with a new lens to realize that as a young person, I can't realistically speak to the issues facing all young people across the world. Coming from Africa, I can't realistically talk about issues in Asia or Latin America or even in the Middle East. During my time as a youth representative, I advocated for a more inclusive youth engagement to have at least one representative from each continent and to expand the youth seats 
which I occupied, to include um, six youth advocates so that we have at least one young person or one youth-led organization speaking for their region. I'm very glad that UNESCO embraced this idea. So currently, I know UNESCO is working to create a new network called the SDG for Youth Network. And this network would create a broader representation for youth who are passionate about advocating for education. And within this network, six youth advocates would be selected. And also there would be an expansion from one seat to two seats for youth and students within the newly formed high-level steering committee. So this is um, these are the developments that have been that have been made uh, since I served as youth representative. So, so did I mean? Did you feel then that you were you were listened to in in that forum that you weren't a sort of token? young person to to sort of tick a box there i do feel like i was listened to but i feel also that it took a lot of time in the beginning it just felt like i was repeating the same old thing that i said at the last meeting and at the previous meeting but also real change takes time getting buy-in from all of the different stakeholders who were in the steering committee it's not something easy some people saw it as a priority more than others did but eventually i i do feel that i was i was listened to that's that's encouraging to to hear and and i, I mean i empathize i think multi Multilateral organizations can be quite slow to to move and adapt because they rely so much on consensus building and making sure that you know everyone around the table agrees that it it can't feel like you're as you say re- repeating the same messages again and again before anything gets done. As you kind of reflect on that experience and also as you think about your organization, One African Child, and the you know and the, and the people you've interacted with now in in university and elsewhere, if you had to give a view about what are youth and young people most concerned about at the moment and where where do they want their voice heard the, the, the loudest, if, if you will? I think that young people are most concerned about the present and the future, to be very honest, because um, like the lead reality of the present moment, they want to be part of shaping the present and their future. I feel that youth and students or young people in generally are the first to be impacted by any decisions in education because they are in the system themselves. They know what it feels like to have an education system that isn't serving them and they want to do something about it. And going back to what you said about international or multilateral institutions, one thing that really inspires me is seeing that the youth of today, you know, are pushing back on when it comes to um, how they are engaged, they want the engagement to be meaningful. They want their voices to be reflected beyond tokenism. It's not just enough for you to invite youth to this international event. It's more important to give a seat at the table for their voices to be heard, just as important as um, other decision makers who are there, but and also to follow through with uh, some of their interests, uh, ideas, and their needs. So young people, they they really want to be part of decision-making processes to have a say and to be involved in, you know, shaping decision-making processes. They want to be seen as partners when it comes to equal partners, when it comes to um, shaping or changing education systems. And a lot of young people that I've seen have brilliant ideas to change the world. They want to see that 
they have recognition for their projects or for their ideas and that, you know, these ideas are, are, are taken forward, whether that is in the local community where they work or whether that is uh, regionally or globally. Can you give me some, some example of, about what, you know, what, what some of these ideas are and, and how they want to, you know, sh- shake things up at least in education or, or, you know, even in other arenas of, of, of society and the economy? Um, with the steering committee where I served, for example, there are high-level events such as the Global Education Meeting. This meeting is held twice every year. And um, at the meeting in 2017 or 2018, the youth representatives who were there really wanted to have you know, a more permanent seat with the high-level steering committee and a more meaningful process. And it was during this meeting that UNESCO formally adopted you know, having a youth network that goes beyond just engaging young people um, on a one-time level to a continuous engagement, collaborating with stakeholders and different partners to see how they can come together and work together so so that um, youth are more meaningfully engaged. And now UNESCO is establishing this new SDG for youth network, not just to have young people advocating at the high level, but also providing capacity building opportunities to young people. I remember my first entry point into the UN international system was attending a conference, an international conference sponsored by UNESCO. This was where I gained leadership, advocacy skills. A lot of young people really want to acquire new skills that would, you know, provide them with more opportunities as they continue to navigate, you know, their future. So this is like one example that I can think of right now, but there are also a lot of examples at regional level with young people who have ideas and are, you know, asking for funding or resources to be able to implement the ideas that they have. And and are there particular issues that animate young people? You know, for example, if you, you know, if if you ask a lot of young people in the West, I'm I'm sure you've observed that in, in, in university where, you know, where you are, you know, they'll, they'll talk about, you know, that, Social justice, for example, animates a large number of young people. Uh, the climate crisis, uh, of course, animates young people. I mean, what, what's your experience coming, you know, coming from, you know, from from Africa, from Nigeria? You know, what what animates young people there? Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks for the clarification. I would say um, youth from my region are very interested in increased youth participation in politics. They want like more young people to be involved in poly- uh, politics and to to have a say. Um, recently in Nigeria, we had movements such as the NSAS movement, which had young people standing up against police brutality and just also being able to, like I was saying earlier, respect youth, youth agency just because somebody looks different outward, out, outwardly. You can just categorize them as, as criminals. Another issue that I see that is rising up also is um, with mental health. Nigeria as a country is um, a lot of young people and are, are, are not taught. So we, we have we are restricted by our culture. We doesn't really encourage you to speak up on mental health issues. We see today that there are a lot of agencies rising up 
to say it's okay to be vulnerable, you know, especially if you're a guy, you can talk about how you're feeling. A few years ago, these issues around mental health are issues that weren't openly spoken about, but today's youth are really changing how mental health is seen. It's more like the norm to be able to speak openly about issues like this. Again, that's that's a very encouraging development. And it, it, is that something that your organization, One African Child, tries to, to tackle directly? Absolutely, yes. And uh, even though we may not have projects that are outwardly tagged mental health. We do this in the way that we engage with kids and young people. We create a safe space where children can talk about themselves, their family background, and also how they are feeling. And also a lot of our programs are centered around global citizenship and education for sustainable development. It's the idea of, you know, being self-aware, also having emotional intelligence. So many of our programs programs are experiential and they promote values and skills such as creativity, compassion, collaboration. All of these things are things that we do. So even though we might not call them outrightly mental health, they really promote a safe space where children and youth can be themselves and can learn more about themselves and about others. Tell me a little bit about the, the, the sort of global citizenship dimensions of what you what you do. What, what what do you understand by global citizenship, and what what is it that your organization is trying to impart under that banner of global citizenship? My idea of global citizenship is that we live in a world today that is increasingly becoming interconnected. And we need each other in order to survive into this complex world. Global citizenship pretty much empowers individuals, whether that is um, adults or children, with skills to navigate this today's complex world. So um, values of global citizenship really promote cultural and religious diversity, for example. They promote uh, working together, you know, emotional intelligence, and, you know, preparing individuals for the unprecedented future. Those are the ideas and principles behind what global citizenship is about. And uh, when we think about global citizenship, people think, some people may think it's about traveling or having an experience of the world, but that is not really what global citizenship is about. It's just about uh, building a more wider lens to understand the environments where you're in, but not limiting your understanding or your perspective to uh, what you know, but staying open to learning new things. It's like having a growth mindset to, to be able to understand the world. I mean, what, one of the things that's been troubling me increasingly is, you know, I, I feel that the world is is losing its ability to communicate across generations, across cultures, across nations. We seem to be broadening the scope for, you know, misunderstandings and, and miscommunication. And, and I've, you know, I've, I've written about this and I, I've sort of put it down to essentially, re, you know, relativism that we, we've lost the, the ability to agree on, you know, on certain facts, on certain truths. You know, and and I think the 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 genesis of this is 
is well-intentioned, right? You want to give everyone a voice. You want to give everyone a, an opportunity to, to say their piece. But, but at the end of the day, we, we need to be making some decisions and we need to agree and build consensus on action. I mean, as we think about the climate crisis, for example, right? There isn't a lot of room for, I guess, for a diversity of perspectives. At a, at a, at a certain point in time, we have to decide and act I would worry as a young person from Africa, what what are your thoughts about this? Am I worrying unnecessarily or, you know, have I got it wrong? What? You're absolutely right. We are now in, we live in a world that is now hypersensitive and, you know, there's a thin line between just expressing yourself and, you know, being attacked for your, for your, for your viewpoints. Um, I think it all boils down to education. Education is really important to be able to, to empower people to, to take perspective, to realize that there are many viewpoints and there is no one way or one truth to um, the things that we care about. Being able to respect other people's viewpoints, to tolerate other people, even if we don't necessarily agree with them. And that comes to, you know, um, rethinking education, improving our education systems, because the current education that we have, if it's really not preparing individuals to be more responsible, to be more uh, uh, compassionate, then I don't think that's the kind of education we need to focus on. There's a lot of focus on Technology is disrupting the world. We need to equip kids with tech skills, but it's also that other aspect of how do we build individuals who are more compassionate, who have empathy, who are able to take diverse perspectives and, you know, uh, uh, who are able to like love and accept all, all kinds of differences. I think that this really should be the center of education for the future. Yeah, and, and I guess, I mean, it, 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 and I don't want to put words in your mouth. So so tell me if I'm misunderstanding here, but I think also learning how to disagree, I think is is an important skill uh, and how, how to do so civilly. But I, but I guess at a, at a certain point, it's also about it, trying to figure out how we can get to a solution that we, we can all get around. Again, I don't want to take the, I mean, the, the, the pandemic is has to a certain extent shone a spotlight on this when it comes to let's say you know vaccine and vaccines and the efficacy of vaccines and, and the fact that you know a significant subset of of people had you know very strong objections you know to to sort of taking these you know life saving you know me- medicines that would help you know help us all at the end of the day get get through this this crisis. So I guess my, my point is, it's all, you know, I, I can understand, I can be compassionate about someone who is afraid, you know, genuinely afraid. But at, at what point, I guess I'm, what I'm trying to say is at what point do we get to, how do we get to a place where, you know, we have a shared understanding of what the challenge is and, and what the solution is? And maybe I'm, I'm, I'm asking too much of you <laughs> No, here. you're not. And I totally get... <laughs> Victoria, in terms of... <laughs> I, of, of helping me get get my head around what you know how, how we how we move past I guess how we move past compassion and empathy and get to consensus because I agree I agree compassion and empathy are important 
But I, I sometimes feel they're not enough. I would say it's meeting people where they are. Sometimes I also see some things and it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, why would somebody not do this, which is clearly the right thing to do? But it's meeting people where they are. There is um, a concept in systems thinking that's called mental models. And it's just kind of like trying to understand what the other, where the other person is coming from. You don't know what you don't know. So people think that their decision or their way of thinking is the right way because they haven't really learned anything different or because they are surrounded with people who assure them that, yes, that's the that's the right way to think. So sometimes I try to just put myself, like they say, like empathy is just feeling what others are feeling, even though it doesn't make sense to you, to you. Try to think of where they are coming from. Ignorance sometimes can propel people to make really poor decisions and if we if we can put ourselves in other people's shoes and you know try to rethink the strategy that we are using to look for a different way to communicate what is the right and proper thing to do we might maybe be more successful as opposed to just being more aggressive like you're wrong and I'm right and you need to do what I tell you that is not very effective no, clearly yelling at people and, and calling them names doesn't doesn't work. It never it never changed anyone's mind, right? But uh, no, I, I I appreciate you engaging with me on that. If I can just change tack for for a minute now, and as we draw close to the end of of the hour, if you could go back to your younger self when you were in school and 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 tell her something what 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 would you say to her there's one or two things you could you could tell your younger self what what would they be i would say see your challenges as stepping stones that would be my advice to my younger self i faced some form of bullying growing up and i really let that get to me and i think somehow i managed to turn my challenges into opportunities through one african child and other things i was involved in but it really had a toll on my mental health and i know that in today's sensitive world more young people are even more impacted when it comes to you know their mental health especially also with social media and the likes i would say uh focus on what you have control over and look at turning some of your challenges into opportunities, more like rewriting your story. So if you are sort of, you know, facing some form of stress or difficulty, think of one little thing that you can do to change that, not even just for you, but for other people around you. Uh, giving an example, if, you know, you see others polluting the environment, is there something that you could do to educate them on the need to take better care of the environment? Or you go online and you see somebody bullying another person, could you raise more awareness on how like hate speech, online hate speech impacts not just people, but also their families. I think that things like that can make a huge difference. So that would be my advice to my younger self. I mean, that's a very enlightened, uh, enlightened response. I, uh, a friend of mine was asked the same question and he, he answered, uh, I would tell my younger self to invest in Apple. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> That is something I'm, 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 I would I would have told my younger self something similar. Yeah, invest, invest early. Invest in Apple, right? This was, uh, I guess he was, 
reflecting he was going back to the 90s so <laughs> that, that would have been his response but no I mean you're you're absolutely right I mean I learning how to deal with adversity and how to turn personal challenges into into opportunities to learn and grow I absolutely you know critical and I and I think that's what's that's what's particularly encouraging about the the move towards social emotional learning right the, the movement to inject these 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 skills you know people often misunderstand you know social emotional learning as oh it's it's kind of touchy feely and it's you know it's not serious but actually a lot of it has to do with building emotional maturity and resilience ingraining it during those early critical years you know otherwise you end up with 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 adults and and you know people in their 40s and 50s trying to discover that <laughs> right <laughs> you know maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I'm speaking about a friend here, not, not myself, but, <laughs> you know, they're, they're sort of trying to figure it out uh, when they're much, much older. What, what do you think is the hardest part of your job? Oh, that's a good question. I would say with the work with one African child, it would be um, resource mobilization because I see that there is a lot that we can be doing if, you know, we have like adequate resources, but more importantly, uh, these days is also seeing a lot of brilliant young people who care about education, who want to get into education, but also they need a form of sustenance. They can't continue to volunteer for free. So that has been like the, like the, uh, biggest puzzle I've had to address of how do we, you know, keep them interested in things that they love doing, but also doing that in a meaningful way, like uh, giving them like paid opportunities. So the hardest part has been just being able to engage the talents that we have uh, for young people who can no longer like continue to work for free uh, volunteering. Last question, Victoria, you, you know, the theme of the Wise Summit this year is uh, Generation Unmute, and we're really looking forward to to having you join us for that. What would be your message to, to to your generation in terms of unmuting their voices and and you know setting them on a path to to engagement and leadership with the world? My message to every young person out there who are thinking of unmuting is you know just take the step. A lot of us. Young, a lot of young people are, have brilliant ideas, but we never manage to actualize them because we think we don't have enough funding or resources or ideas or experience. Just really take the step because uh, if you look at all of the leaders who are successful today or leaders who inspire you, everyone has had one form of huddle or the other in their life. And the world didn't get to know them because of the their intentions. The world knows them by their execution. So really take the step to move your intention from just dreaming to doing. So that's great advice. Again, thank you for, for being on Wise Words. Really enjoyed our, our chat. And I'm uh, looking forward to meeting you in person in, in Doha. Thank you very much. I'm excited for the Wise Summit and I hope to see you there too. This is Basim Hijazi, producer of the Wise Words podcast. 
Thank you very much for tuning into the show where we discuss all things education with some of the world's leading thinkers and doers. What did you think of this episode with Victoria Ibiwoye? We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback, and you can reach out to us anytime on our social media channels, which you can find in the description. And of course, if you're new to the show, please do consider subscribing for more episodes just like this one. With the conclusion of this episode, we're excited to kick off an all-new season of Wise Words, now in action, Unmute Education. So be sure to keep an eye out on our social media channels to know when our next episode in the series comes out very soon. We'll be regularly publishing new episodes which aim to unmute some of the most pressing education topics and trends in the lead-up to the 2021 WISE Summit taking place in Doha, Qatar and virtually online between 7 to 9 December 2021. For more information, check out the links in the description. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and hope to see you again next time on Wise Words.